Welcome to the teaching podcast for Eubank Baptist Church. We are all about knowing more about Jesus and inviting others to do the same. We would love for you to join us on our campus on Sunday mornings at 8.30 or 10.45 and Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. This podcast is a place that you can listen to any teachings that you might have missed from our Sunday morning worship experiences. To stay connected, you can check out our website at www.eubankbaptist.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Eubank Baptist Church and Instagram at Eubank underscore BC. Thank you for being a part of the conversation and let's keep pursuing Jesus together. Well, as it has already been said numerous times, I'm sure someone's told you this already, but good morning. And we are so glad that you are here with us at Eubank Baptist Church and on behalf of the leadership and the staff, I just want you to know how grateful we are that you are here giving us some of your time. We know that time is valuable. Time is a gift. So we are grateful and honored that you're trusting us with a portion of it this morning. Our prayer as a, as a leadership, as a staff, is that every person who steps on foot on this campus, who visits our website, who uh, is, is involved in any activity that we do, that they would experience the powerful and wonderful person of Jesus. That is why we are here. That's why this church exists, to point people to the one and only name of Jesus. That's why we're here. If you're a guest with us or you're fairly new to EBC, uh, you're joining us in a very exciting time. Uh, last week, uh, if you were here or if you, you heard, we voted and extended a call to the next senior pastor of Eubank Baptist Church. Uh, Brother Clay Heard and his family came. They were with us. They shared their heart. Uh, they shared uh, their, their, their heart, their mission towards us. And uh, we are excited for them to join us and to begin leading us um, in May. We are excited to see what God will do in and through EBC uh, through, through Clay's leadership. So we're excited for that. This morning, though, we're going to celebrate. We are celebrating Palm Sunday. Uh, As you saw, the kids uh, marched through the sanctuary with palm branches. In case there's a person that may be unfamiliar with what Palm Sunday is, maybe you've heard of it, but you never have really known what it was. Let me just share a brief explanation. According to the Christian tradition, Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem for the final time before the events of his crucifixion. Like the children did a little bit ago during that first song, Jesus, he was embraced by people laying palm branches and coats on the road as he entered into the city. There was this big celebration. At that point, they realized, they began to realize that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the king that was promised. It it, it could be said that this was the beginning of his journey to the cross. That what we know that What started as a triumphal entry led to a shameful and gruesome death on a cross. However, Jesus changed everything. What the cross stood for was radically changed by Jesus. And here's the most humbling part of the entire thing. Jesus endured the events of the week simply because he loves you and I too much to leave us in a place separated from God. Don't miss this. It's not just people that change after they encounter Jesus. Everything changes after they encounter Jesus. 
doesn't matter if it's a person, if it's a place, if it's a group. The cross changes. So everything changes when it encounters Jesus. And that kind of love that God demonstrated towards us should humble us and fill us with gratitude every single morning that we wake up. Because every breath you have, every morning that you get to experience on this planet, it is a pure gift from God. This morning in our time together, I want to begin our journey towards the cross. Because while this Sunday is Palm Sunday, next Sunday is Easter. And if you saw our social media post, the question was asked, have you ever considered how the end of Joseph's story actually connects to points of the cross? And so in, in our time together, I want to speak from the end of Genesis where we see the story of Joseph come to its conclusion. And typically we've been going chronologically through Genesis and we're going to break the norm. We're going to break tradition a little bit and we're going to jump ahead from where we were a few weeks ago to the end of Genesis. And we're going to be in uh, Genesis 50 verses 15 through 21 this morning. And what I believe is that we can highlight a few things from the end of Joseph's story that are similar to the cross and what it stood for after Jesus encountered it. And I would encourage you to come back next week on Easter as, we'll, as, as, we'll, as we as a church will come to the reality of, of responding to the cross. Because here's the thing, every single person on this planet, whether they're in church or outside church, they're, they're going to have to respond to the reality of the cross at some point. At some point, they're going to stand in front of God and they're going to have to respond to what the cross meant for them. So to begin our time moving towards the cross this morning, I want us to look at the end of Joseph's story. And to begin our conversation, if you will, this morning, I want to read through a couple of familiar verses that you've probably heard of. You've probably read them. You've probably heard a pastor speak on them. But if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning as we read through Romans chapter 8, verses 28, and then verses 31 and 32. Again, this is going to set up our conversation. This will be, this will set up our conversation this morning. But in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now jump down to verse 31 with me. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Will you pray with me, Father? We come to your word now. We are thankful for the worship that we have had so far. We're thankful for the opportunity to remember your son's sacrifice on the cross. And now we pray that as we continue to worship, as we continue to worship through the study of your word, God, that you would just speak to us. God, I believe with everything in me that for every single person who is here right now, every person online, every person who might catch the conversation later on in the week, God, that you have started a conversation with them before they even woke up this morning. 
God, I believe that you have something for every single person. So I ask that, that, that as I speak, that you would just use me, God. My words are not special. My words are not smart. I'm not that good, God, but I serve a God who is greater than all. And I pray that your words will just flow through me. God, I pray that this message will be a message of Jesus and nothing else. God, get me out of the way so that you can shine above all. Father, I pray that as we look at the end of Joseph's story, as we prepare to celebrate Easter on this Palm Sunday, that you would just speak to us. God, a new word, a fresh word. Father, we love you. We thank you. It is in your powerful name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. And as it has been said for almost every Sunday for the past several months, you're encouraged to follow along in the note sheet that are in the bulletin. And if you don't have a bulletin, I may if you don't have one, raise your hand. We'll find you one, okay? If we need to, we'll, we'll go print one off for you right now, okay? Because we believe wholeheartedly that we want you to engage in God's Word with no, no matter what it takes. Because here's, here's what we believe, and here's what you have to, to understand about us here at EBC. We believe that God speaks to you every single day of the week, not just a Sunday morning. We believe that God wants to encounter you on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then repeat the whole process again. We believe that every single day that you wake up, God has a word for you that he wants to share with you. So we want to, we want to give you the chance to respond and, take, and to take this with you as you leave to engage God throughout the week. Plus, why would we not want to hear from the one who wonderfully and fearfully handcrafted us in his own image? Why would we not approach the one word that has the power and the authority and the control of everything that we go through? And so take these notes with you. Study them as you go throughout your week. But again, before we unpack uh, the takeaways this morning, let me just give you the Reader's Digest of Joseph's life up to this point. Most of us are, are, are probably familiar with the story, but let, just for kicks and giggles, let me just give you the Reader's Digest of his life so far. In Genesis 37, we see that Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers because of their jealousy of him. I mean, what older sibling wouldn't get a little mad if the younger sibling said, hey, you know what? One day, I'm going to be your king, right? Like most siblings would not like that, right? So they get jealous and they sell them into slavery. In Genesis 39, we see that Joseph ends up as a servant in, in an Egyptian official's household where he is in prison for a false accusation of sexual assault. And then while in prison, Joseph interprets the dreams of two other prisoners which you can read all this in Genesis chapter 40. And because of this, because of his ability to, to interpret the dreams, Joseph is given the opportunity to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams, which led him to being, which led him to being in a very high place of power in Egypt. And then in the preceding chapters after 41, we see that Joseph is reunited with his brothers and his family while he leads the nation through years of famine. And then we arrive to our anchor verses this morning. And, and, and as we work through these verses, I just want to highlight that what the cross stood for before has a different meaning for us today. So with that being said, let's begin unpacking the first takeaway this morning. Number one, the first thing for us to consider is this, is that the cross became a place of hope. The cross became, the cross became a place of of hope. I want to invite you to 
turn with me to Genesis chapter 50 as we begin to work our way through these anchor verses for us this morning. And the first place I want to go to is verses 15 through 17 of Genesis chapter 50. Check out what it says. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and, pray, and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. As the book of Genesis begins to close and as we see this conclusion of of Joseph's life and his story, we see that his father passes away. And in light of this, his brothers become worried about what will happen to them now that dad's gone. Because I have to imagine they, that they probably found comfort and protection in the fact that dad was still alive. And I have to imagine that, like any good dad, he was encouraging his brothers, hey, even though you get into a fight, just work through it, talk through it, and get on good pages, right? Get, get on good graces. And so his brothers became afraid of what Joseph would do. They, they, they thought, what if Joseph finally gets us back? What if he has spent so much time, so many years just planning, and now it's his time to strike? It's, it's, it's his time to get us back. They become worried that Joseph will get his revenge because dad's not there to protect him anymore. And because of this, they create a report to give Joseph that included their father's dying wish to be Joseph forgiving his brothers. He, they say, hey, dad's last wish was for you to forgive us. Right? And I believe it's easy to to say that Joseph's brothers found themselves in a place of hopelessness. That they saw the reality of dad being gone, the possibility of what their future looked like, and became overwhelmed and they felt pretty hopeless. One thing that I know about being in a place of hopelessness is that it can make us become desperate. That when we're hopeless, we'll do anything, say anything, believe anything, just simply to experience just the smallest glimpse of hope. When we feel like there's nothing left for us, we will fight for just the smallest inch of hope. And what's interesting about these verses is that we don't really know if Joseph's father actually articulated a word for Joseph to forgive his brothers. If you go back to the chapter before, his father does give them instructions of how to bury him and where to bury him. But it never records him saying, hey, I want, I want, tell Joseph for him to forgive you guys. Now, again, we're, we're, we're going to assume that Joseph's dad was a good dad and that he probably hoped and prayed that at some point the brothers would get over their stuff and, and, and be a big happy family. But we don't know if he actually articulated that to the brothers. But what's more interesting is Joseph's response to the report. As we see in verse 17, that when he received this message, he wept. Now there is a big difference in crying and weeping. Most, if not all of us, have cried. I've cried before, not very often. Becca would, would, like, would like to see that change at some point. I did cry, though, for Emily when, when, when she was born, though. So that does count for something, right? 
and our crown, I saw coming down the aisle in our wedding day. So I, I, I fit the two, big, the two big days, right? But there's a big difference, <clears throat> big difference in crying and weeping. And when Joseph gets this report, he weeps. <clears throat> if you've had moments of weeping, you know that it takes everything out of you. That it comes from your core. So Joseph, he wept. As I was doing some research into this of, of, of why he wept, a lot of things that I saw said that he wept because it deeply hurt him to think that his brothers didn't think his forgiveness was possible or genuine. You've been there, right, where you, where you apologize and it seems like the person across from you doesn't really fully grasp it. And that hurts you, doesn't it? And it hurt Joseph to think, how could they not remember the last time I forgave them? Because don't, don't, don't miss this. This was not the first time that Joseph forgave his brothers. This was the second time that he forgave them. So this, this, this was not the first time that Joseph said, I, I forgive you. So he probably thought, why in the world do they not remember? But that's what hopelessness does to us. It makes us forget things. Because we get so caught up in the heaviness of hopelessness. In fact, if we go to Genesis chapter 45, we see this moment. And just for a second, I would like to read you these verses. But in Genesis 45, verses 14 through 15, we, we see this moment where Joseph first forgave his brothers. It says in verse 14, when he, when, then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. So again, this was not the first time that Joseph forgave his brothers. So I have to imagine Joseph is probably thinking, why don't they remember the last time? Don't they remember the last time that we wept? Like, they all wept together. Grown men weeping together. Why can't they remember that? So Joseph wept at the idea that why, what if they don't, re, don't remember? So the question then becomes, how is this part of Joseph's story connected to the cross? You see, the cross was a place that symbolized the ultimate outcome of hopelessness. After a person suffered the experience of a cross, that was it. There was nothing else afterward, and that person ceased to exist. However, everything changed when the cross met Jesus. You see, no longer did the cross represent a place of no hope, but a place of all hope. No longer did the cross represent the end, but a symbol of hope for a future and a new life. Maybe there's a person that's here right now or you're listening online, and you have this voice telling you that you have done too much or gone too far we're not done enough to deserve or experience a future or a new life. You feel like you're that, you're that one person that's just done too much. You're not good enough. You're not worthy enough. And you're, you're just that one person that, that, that is always lost. Let me tell you what God has to say about that in his own word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he inspired Paul to write this. I want you to hear it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. 
The old has gone and the new is here. Everything God says is final. So if he says that every person is a new creation inside of him, then we have to stop living like our old self. Stop telling yourself that you are like who you used to be. If God has offered you a new life, start living in that new life. And I believe when we read this, this is, what we, this is what we can pull from it. You ready? No matter what we see or how we perceive a situation, God's word is final. And there is hope that comes from God's word. So you want to know why the cross became a place of hope? It's because of the person hung on that cross. Despite what Joseph's brothers thought or how they perceived the situation, Hope was waiting for them. And the same thing is true for us. For anyone that chooses Jesus, hope is waiting for them. As the story continues for Joseph, we see, we come into contact with our second takeaway this morning. Number two is this, the second thing to consider is that the cross became a place of safety. The cross became a place of safety. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 50 and read through with me verses 19 and 20. Genesis 50, 19 through 20. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In this moment, Joseph has the opportunity to personally respond to his brothers. It's a moment that he comes face to face as he's looking back at everything. He comes face to face with the implications of his brother's decisions on his life. And I would have to imagine that Joseph, a pretty smart guy, was, was picking up on their sense of hopelessness and fear. He could tell they were a little nervous, right? You can tell when someone's nervous in a conversation, can't you? They start getting a little jittery, maybe playing with their hands a little bit. So Joseph could tell, okay, some, they're, they're, some, something's going on here. And Joseph's response is to point them to God rather than himself or anything else. See, Joseph could have had a chance to articulate his personal thoughts. He could say, well, you know what? <clears throat> now it's my turn to talk. Now it's my turn to, to implement my revenge or my payback. Yet Joseph did not do that. He pointed the conversation and pointed them to God. And Joseph recognizes something very important. He recognizes that the one who is ultimately in control is God. In this, I believe that Joseph offers his brothers safety. When he says, hey, you know what? Yes, you did all these things, but let's focus on what God's doing through these things. Because you see, Joseph, he started in a pit, then was kind of up on the mountaintop a little bit, then back down to a prison, then back up to the top again. So he's had his ups and downs. And the moment, the best he can do is say, hey, look at what God's doing right now. One of the 
blessings that many of us have had in these past couple of months is to see what God's doing in this church and say, look at God. Because what we see here is not because of a person. It's not because of a pastor. It's not because of a worship leader. No, it is because God is moving in this place. Because see, only God, only God can change the life of somebody. Only God can get five plus kids in the baptistry within the first couple of months of the year, okay? Only God can radically change an entire family. Only God can do that. So we've been able to say, look at what God's doing in this place. And that's what Joseph does. He says, hey, look what God's doing right now. Because of where Joseph was, because of the abilities that God gave him, he got to save the nation of Egypt from famine, He said, hey, guess what? Plan for this. And then it happened. And so Joseph says, look at what God's doing. When I think about this moment, when I think about verse 20, and just saying, look at what God is doing despite your intentions, my mind goes to a couple different scriptures that I want to share with you for a moment that echo the truth that God is ultimately in control of every part of our lives, good, bad, or indifferent. You don't have to go there yourself, but they'll be on the screen. But the first place that I want to go to is Psalms 139, verses 13 through 16. It says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. See, not only did God create everything about us, but he has also ordained every single day of our life before the first one happened. I know we got some smart people in the church, but you can't even do that. You can plan for your day, but how many times, well, that didn't work out like I was was planning, right? If you have kids, hello, right? Whether they're grown or not, kids are kids, right? So this verse tells us that God, even before we took our first breath in a room full of strangers, that God knew our days. He had planned them out. So there is nothing that surprises God about your life. So stop acting like it. When was the last time you were real with God? You took away the the facades, took away the illusion. You were just real with God. When's the last time that happened? When's the last time you hit your knees saying, God, I'm not enough right now? When's the last time that's happened for you? It's been a while for me. Because like a lot of people, I think I'm okay. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. A second place that we see this is is Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what it says. Therefore, excuse me. Sorry, Romans 8, 28. We read this a few moments ago, but I want to read it again. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I love that because we think 
that everything that happens will be good. No, that's not what, that's not what God's saying. He's saying that everything, combining the good and the bad and the ugly, all of it will come together for your good. Yes, sometimes life will be terrible. Sometimes life will be challenging. But know this, that beneath all of it, there is a purpose. There is a good that God is working through it for you. There is safety in the fact that God fully knows us and is never surprised by our mistakes or our hangups. Trust me, there is nothing you can do that will surprise God. He made you, he formed you, and he knows how much you're screwed up. Again, I want to bring us back to the question of how this part of Joseph, Joseph's story connects to the cross. See, in order to understand or to answer this question, we have to understand a little history behind the cross. You see, the cross was a punishment reserved for the worst of the worst. It was considered to be the worst form of punishment back then. And typically the, the condemned person would be whipped within an inch of their life and then, ex- and then expected to carry their cross to the, to the, to the determined determine location of the crucifixion. And then once there, the person would have three nails or spikes driven through their wrists and ankles. This was not a punishment or death that Jesus deserved. Yet, he took it all for us. A place that was known for condemnation became known for something else after it encountered Jesus. You see, the cross became a place of safety from condemnation. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So what this tells me is this, is that there is freedom and life for those that choose and call on, who call on and follow the name of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you need some freedom in your life. Maybe there's been a mistake in the past that no one knows about or everyone knows about. And that's what you're known by. Oh, you're that one guy. You're that one girl. You're, oh, you're, you're, you're that person. Maybe you're here and that just follows you wherever you go. And you desperately want some freedom from that. You want someone to recognize you more for what you did before, more for what you did a few weeks or months ago. And despite what people may think, feel, or be told, this is true for anyone and everyone, no matter what their story has been or their story is now. Listen. Just because you are in a church does not mean that every person has it figured out. Quite the opposite, actually. There's not one person that has it all figured out. There's one that's Jesus. But no one who sits in these chairs has it all figured out. So despite what we're told, despite what our past or our story tells us, we have the possibility of freedom and a new life in Jesus. And just as Joseph's brothers experienced safety when they encountered Joseph, we experience safety when we encounter Jesus. See, not, not, 
Before Jesus, people ran from the cross. It was avoided. But now we run to the cross because it has changed for us. As we begin to move towards the end of this conversation, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to spend a few moments unpacking the third and final takeaway for us this morning. Number three is this. The cross became a place of grace. The cross became a place of grace. Go back with me one more time to our anchor verse. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 50, verse 21. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. <clears throat> and, and he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. In these final moments, we see Joseph demonstrate grace towards his brothers. Instead of getting his revenge and paying them back, he says, don't worry, I'm going to provide for you and your family and your children. Joseph commits to providing for both them and their families. And if I'm being honest, and I'm going to assume you're a lot like me, if I'm being honest, I'm not sure if I, would, if I would have responded the same way. I'm not sure if I would have said, you know what, forget about it. Don't worry about that. I've got you. I don't know if I could have done that. I don't know if I could have pushed aside the wrong and the hurt that I was holding on to. I have to believe that the reason he could demonstrate grace and forgiveness yet again was because his focus was on God. You see, Joseph was able to look past the difficulty of his circumstances because he looked towards what God was accomplishing through his difficult situations. What if the growth you've been wanting, what if the movement you've been wanting from God to experience in your own life is on the other side of a struggle, is on the other side of a tough time, you see, Joseph had his eyes fixed on what God was doing through it. And I think that Joseph wanted his brothers to experience the blessings of God. I have to believe that that was part of his reasoning. He wanted his brothers to experience the blessings of God. So for one final time, I want to ask the question, how does this connect to the cross? We see, to say it as plainly as I can, God did not have to send Jesus to experience the brutality of the cross. There are verses that say, that, 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 that prophesy that he would, but there is not one verse that tells me he had to send his son Jesus. He chose to send his son Jesus. If you don't believe me, go read John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave Jesus for me and for you. He didn't have to do that. But he wanted to because he loves you so much. Jesus did not have to silently endure the brutality of the cross, yet that's exactly what he did. Simply put, <clears throat> the death and resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate year after year is a gift that is freely offered to everyone and given to anyone that chooses and calls on the name of Jesus. You see, it's not about Easter eggs and bunnies. It's not about family dinners or lunches. It's not about pretty dresses and nice suits for the guys. 
It is about the resurrection of Jesus. It is great to have fun and to do those things, but don't miss the real point of this season. Don't don't miss the real point of Easter. It is to to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Because don't miss this. No one since Jesus has defeated death. Because guess what? Every single one of us, at one point, we're going to die. We can try to prolong it. We can try to extend it. But it's going to happen. But yet Jesus, he died. He lost breath. His heart stopped beating. But yet three days later, he got right back up out of that grave. And there is no one who is smart enough, good enough to do what he did. A beautiful series of verses that show that shows us very clearly is Ephesians chapter 2. I just want to for a moment read through verses 1 through 10 because it's so beautifully put. So much better than, than anything that I could say. But listen to these words in Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is not at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one point, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But here's the good part. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The reason that you are here, the reason that you have life after death, is because of Jesus and Jesus alone. Here in a few moments, our team will come back up and they're going to lead us in another song. And during this time, it's what we call our response time. And simply put, it's, it's your opportunity to respond to whatever conversation God is having with you. This will be your time to follow through on any decision that God is pressing on your heart. One thing that I hope you've caught on to this morning is that Jesus changes everything. It is possible to walk into a service spiritually dead and walk out spiritually alive. If Jesus has the capability to change the meaning of the cross, he certainly has the power and capability to change your life. What if this Easter season was radically different than those that have come and gone? 
What if this Easter season was, was a time that you actually experienced hope, safety, and grace despite what your story has looked like or currently looks like? What if this Easter season was a time that instead of being surrounded and overtaken by the chaos, you rose up from that because, who, it, because if God is with you, who or what can be against you? What if this Easter season was the first time you really encountered Jesus? Maybe for you, this is the time for you to, to encounter Jesus in a brand new and fresh way. In a moment, I'm going to pray. They'll come up and we're going to sing. And I'm going to be right here in the front. I would love to pray with you, talk with you, whatever you may need. But more importantly, God would love to talk to you this morning. But before I pray, I just want to share the gospel with you because I believe the gospel is the greatest message ever told. And if if there was nothing else said but the gospel, that would be enough. So maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online and you have never fully committed to Jesus. Here's how you do it. We start in Romans, or yeah, in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, there is no one good enough to save themselves. There is no one good enough that has not made a mistake. Raise your hand, if, if you made a mistake, raise your hand. Yep, every hand in this room is, is, up, is up. You know why? Because everyone has made mistakes. So we all fall short. We all start from the same place. There is no one better. There is no one worse. You're the same as me. I'm the same as you. That's where we all start. And because of this, we move on to Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. That sounds harsh, but, that's, but that is the reality. And in case you don't know what the mark is that we are trying to pursue, it is everything Jesus said. Here's the mark. If you don't have a Bible, take one with you. We'll give it to you. It's our gift to you. But check out this second part. But the gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you can stay dead to your sins or you can receive life. Either you choose death or you choose life. And Romans is clear. It is through Jesus our Lord. So the question then is, it becomes this, why Jesus? Why why can't, why, why can't church be enough? Why can't prayer be enough? Why can't doing good, why can't doing, doing good, good enough work? Well, here's why. Because in John chapter 14, verse 6, it says that Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. So the only way to get to God is through Jesus. That's why it's Jesus. That's why we celebrate Easter. So how do you get there? How, how do you move from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive? Romans 10, 9 says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Just like that. If you believe in your heart that you are a sinner who needs, who needs to be saved by Jesus, you'll be saved just like that. does not matter what your story has been. does not matter what you have done or haven't done. does not matter what you're doing right now. If you want to choose Jesus and if you believe in your heart that he, raised, that, he, that he rose from the dead three days later, you will be saved and that is it. I can't think for anyone that maybe hasn't made that decision, I can't think of a better time to do that than on Easter. Because ultimately we're going to see next week that it all leads to the cross. Everything leads to the cross. But as they sing, you'll have a chance to respond. Will you pray with me? Father, 
we are so grateful for you. And we're grateful for your son, Jesus, who gave up everything for us. And Father, I pray right now that if, if there is someone in this room, someone listening online, maybe they, they've been to church, they've played church, but they've never made that true decision. That right now, they would do that. God, you tell us all it takes is a belief in our heart that we're not enough and that we need your son, Jesus. And then we have to confess that. And after that, we'll be saved. If there's just one person, that they would just do that. I pray for the ones who during this Easter season, maybe it's been a while since they've felt hope. Maybe it's been a long time since they have felt that there was hope for them in the future. I wanna pray for the ones that haven't felt safe, for the ones that haven't felt that they could be themselves. I wanna pray for the ones who, who, are, who are so desperate for some grace that they're carrying around some weight, they're carrying around some past, they're carrying around some regret, some shame, some guilt. God, you came to the cross and because of that, there is no condemnation. God, because of that, we have new life because you, because of that, we are a new creation. And maybe for some of us, it's time to start living like it. Maybe it's time for us to let go of some things and to fixate our eyes on you. Father, I pray that as we sing this last song, that whatever conversation you're having with all of us, whatever conversation, whatever decision you're calling us to make, that you would give us the strength to do so, God. We give you all the glory, all the praise. And this is your name that we pray. Amen.